not-for-profit sector had it as hard as any market during the COVID-19 pandemic. Traditionally under-resourced financially, technically and in terms of people, many companies were forced to adapt to unprecedented demand for assistance and with a greater sense of urgency. Australian NFPs needed to dig deep, discovering strengths they may have not imagined they possessed previously and honing their greatest instincts for creativity and innovation. Hello, I'm Byron Connolly, the Editor-in-Chief at CO Australia, and today I'm talking to CIOs working at the coalface of Australia's critical NFP sector about how they harness digital tools to maintain service and operations during one of the toughest periods any of us have ever seen, and how technology is likely to play an even more central role. Okay, so I'm here today with Abhishek Singh, and Abhishek is the Chief Information Officer at UNICEF. Hi, Abhishek, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks, Byron. Great to have you on the show. Now, Vishek, you spent a large part of your career on the vendor side and you, and you worked at YPRO um, before joining UNICEF. Uh, UNICEF, of course, is an organisation that provides humanitarian and developmental aid to children around the world. And you joined the organisation as uh, Chief Information Officer in mid-2019. Can I start by asking what it is about the NFP sector that attracts you the most? Yeah, sure, sure. Thanks, Brian. That's a very good question. and probably very relevant for people who have spent a long time in the corporate world and uh, are looking for uh, career choices mm. uh, and, and hopefully this will provide some direction. So I would start by saying that uh, that both the roles have their own motivation factors. Uh, at Wipro, I was supporting engagements which were about ensuring food on the table, which was when I was working with retail, and connecting people when I was working with the telco. So all have their own meanings in their own ways. And there were immense, immense learning opportunities, right? With the constant exposure to new solutions, innovation, uh, we had a lot of technology partnerships, so you'll always be meeting new people, new relationships. So that's what's, what was very exciting. Yeah. And that kept me going for around 13 years. I was with Wipro for 13 years. Yeah. And uh, I mean, by the end of it, uh, I would have experienced all aspects and all facets of uh, engaging with people, uh, uh, coming through different kind of processes, uh, looking at different technologies. And uh, it became quite easy to apply those learnings and, and actually create value when you would come to the other side of joining a corporate or a non-for-profit organization. Yeah. So uh, no matter where you go, you, you actually need to have a very clear purpose of why you work, where you work. Otherwise, you know, happen, unhappiness will sink in very quickly. So that clarity has to be there, whether you're working for a corporate or a non-for-profit organization. So. Coming to UNICEF, it, it was very, very meaningful. Uh, I mean, I, I take great pride in working here for the kind of organization this is. I mean, we help uh, disadvantaged and marginalized children globally uh, and now in Australia as well. So there's an Australian focus going forward uh, and make sure that they lead healthy, safe lives and realize their full potential. That's our purpose. Uh, and from an IT perspective, and I'm working as the head of technology and cyber, uh, I think the focus is to manage and constantly improve our support and engagement. That's what we stand for and make sure that all the causes for children that we uh, that we stand for is very clearly articulated uh, in front of the supporters and in front of people who donate to us sure. and the user experience and to ensure that we do all that in a safe and secure environment. So, uh, I mean, th- th- that's what is exciting about both, uh, both sides, uh, whether you work for a corporate or, a com- or an organization like uh, UNICEF, yes. and and this being a UN entity, it provides 
uh, many international assignments, uh, stretch engagements. So I can be sitting in Australia and be part of a large global, global IT rollout, a CRM rollout, a data privacy rollout, yeah. uh, and have, have team members from Canada, US, and India, and all bringing their own regional skills because they've all experienced UNICEF in their own ways. Yeah. Uh, so that's amazing to be to be working in a global team like that, um, and and feel so motivated working here at UNICEF. So pretty much that's that's been my story of uh, been working at Wipro and at UNICEF. Yeah, it sounds great. Now, now I, I just wanted to to, to ask you. I mean, it, there's no doubt that NFPs clearly don't have the funds to spend on technology that, say, banks and retailers and government departments do. I mean, how much at UNICEF, how much is spent on, on technology as proportion of the money that comes into the organisation? And second to that, how you decide where your limited budget needs to be spent? Yes, yeah, so, uh, Byron, the challenges we face in the in the sector, in the NFP sector, are pretty much the same as any other corporate, right? Uh, we, we are no different than the other. It's just that we have a very strong motivation and a cause factor to it. Um, I mean, things like digital transformation, better user experience, insights, analytics, marketing, data management, cybersecurity, compliance, and so on. All are focus areas, and, we, and, and not one is important than the other. All are important. So, but at the same time, as an organization, as a charity organization, our main focus is that the majority of the dollar gets passed on for the actual causes and for the children and not get used up for wrong things. So from that point of view, uh, the, the, the whole approach of prioritization is through a risk management framework. We have built a very strong, robust risk management framework, which assesses every initiative from a criticality and priority point of view. So it's it's not just about funds, but making sure that business takes a call on what's critical from a growth and sustenance perspective, uh, what's high priority, and whether funds are available for that uh, high priority item or not, and make sure that they are available uh, through through a budgeting process. Mm. So I don't think it's about underinvestment and about controlling funds uh, where it's required, but rather the right kind of investment if it can bring a difference in how supporters engage with us. Uh, how we connect with them, or in the lives of children we support. So pretty much uh, that, that prioritization aspect of through a risk management framework is how we do it and make sure that the funds are channelized to the right causes and not under investment. Mm, for sure. Do you think that has the COVID pandemic had an impact, I guess, on, on um, you know, how you provide services to um, children around the world? Has there been, you know, more of a, uh, has technology played more of a role, I guess, since the pandemic hit last year? Yeah, I think uh, very early on we had decided to move all our services to the cloud. Uh, so we had we have we have migrated our services from an existing managed service provider to a uh, to a cloud platform, mm. and also moved our CRM into a totally SaaS environment. Mm. So uh, when COVID hit, uh, in some ways we were already ready for uh, a remote remote working scenario, and when people move to be working from homes, I think all the applications were accessible in the cloud. So that really made a difference. And, and that's my suggestion to every CIO yeah. out there, non-profit or corporate is, is that the cloud is the way to go. Uh, but from that point of view, security comes really imperative because uh, when you move to the cloud, all the elements of data security and uh, how you uh, uh, connect with the cloud services is, is very critical. Mm. So from that point of view, as an organization, we were totally ready, yeah. uh, and and all the employees were able to uh, work from from any remote location in a very productive way. Mm. 
Okay. Now, as I understand it, um, the tech leaders or the CIOs at NFPs in Australia have a group and you get together um, fairly regularly here in Australia. Um, what is it that you talk about? What are, what are some of the things that are raised um, during these meetings? So, yes, we do. I mean, we, I can't uh, share much, but it's an invitation-only group and many things get discussed. Uh, we share ideas. We share ideas about... Uh, uh, about operations, new technologies, and issues we may be facing. A specific CIO may be facing an issue, and this becomes a good place to get other point of views on whether uh, whether they are on the right payment gateway platform, and yep. and, and and many of these commercial uh, uh, aspects of a service which can get discussed between CIOs in a in a controlled and secure manner. And and we'd also discuss about our partnerships. Uh, partners we use and also ways of optimizing spend if some of these CIOs have have already done the hard yards in a certain uh, issue or a problem that they've faced and they've solved it. Mm. Uh, and rather reinventing the wheel, we speak to them and see uh, whether it was a technology solution, was it a process change or whether they used a specific vendor which brought uh, IPs to the table. Yep. So yeah, these are the things that get discussed, and it's a it's a great forum where we exchange ideas, and, and some of these solutions are specific to the non-for-profit organisation, so it it makes it very meaningful to exchange ideas. Abhishek, is it hard to get people, um, technical staff or technology people, to actually take an interest in jobs uh, inside organisations, NFPs like UNICEF? Because uh, I'd imagine there's a skill shortage going on. A lot of people with the um, the skills that that organizations need will, will probably tend to gravitate towards banks and more higher paying jobs. What, what's your been your experience in terms of attracting, attracting staff to the organization? What do you look for? I would say that there's always, um, um, you know, hard to get the right kind of talent uh, in any industry, not just specific to us. But, but in our case, the, uh, the upside is that there is a certain set of people. Uh, they may be young of different ages. Yeah. who are quite keen to work in this industry. So it makes it very easy to hire them and they may come with different kinds of skills. And as an organization, we have to be uh, to be accommodating to be able to hire them and yeah. be able to cross-skill if they don't have the necessary skills in other areas. Yeah. So so I think from, from that point of view, you will have a section of technologists and people who are really keen to work in this sector. You just have to find them and make sure that 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 uh, they they come and work for you. Um, so pretty much that's how I'll, I'll put it. Because yeah. we have some very good people in our team. Uh, they're really hardworking and they feel so motivated. Um, and and uh, mostly we don't have a discussion about whether it's more meaningful to work in a bank or a telco because there's so much of motivation right here sure. when you work for a charity. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. All right, listen, Abhishek, we might leave it there. Thank you very much for talking uh, to us today on the CIO Show. It's been a pleasure and, and we hope you can join us again at some other point soon. Byron, thanks for having me. It is uh, really exciting to speak here. Thank you. We enable any organisation to use any technology. We help all companies become technology companies, protecting the identity of both workforces and customers. Connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Okta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organisation. Our next guest is Brett Wilson. Brett recently moved across to the CEO role at Australian Red Cross and, and Brett replaced uh, Veronica Frost. 
Now, Brett, can you start talking about why you took this job? What attracts you to the NFP sector? Because as, as I understand it, it is your first job in the, uh, in the sector. Yeah, thanks, Byron. Um, look, it is my first job in the sector. I think, um, look, I've always had a passion for helping people. I've been involved in activities such as CEO Sleep Out for a number of years and in 2020 set up an initiative um, named Caravans for Bushfires to source donated caravans for bushfire-affected people. Um, and managed to source 15 caravans, which not only helped, obviously, the 15 families, but also um, gave a level of hope to others around them that, obviously, they weren't forgotten and weren't lost. Mm. I think working with large corporates has been a fantastic experience, but now I'm hoping what I can do is lend my experience to really make a difference to those who need it. Mm. Um, it's an interesting how we classify NFP, which is obviously not for profit, but I sort of look at how do we how do we make a difference without making a profit? So um, that I'll borrow a term from um, Simon Sinek, which is more a for impact type sector, yeah. which is the way I like to think about, which is working towards how do you make the most amount of impact we can with obviously the resources and the, and the financial uh, resources we have as well. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that is an issue in NFP, isn't it? You don't have the financial and people resources that the private sector has, the financial services industry, for instance, large government departments. How do you, how do you think you're going to get around that? I mean, you've been in the job for a month now. How do you go about what, deciding um, you know, you know, where, where money is going to be invested? I mean, should, clearly you've got a lot of things that you want to do, but the, the resources just aren't there. How, how do you think you're going to go with that? I mean, I see resourcing as part of the challenges, funding from some larger corporates. Mm. Um, but I think we have a lot of really passionate people. But the way I'm looking at this is more how to fill the gaps with strategic partnerships um, with the bigger tech firms, bigger organisations. Mm. Um, currently working, obviously, with Accenture at the moment um, who are going to work with us from a, a sort of current state audit. Yeah. Um, what it gives them is a sense of purpose. And whilst we may not be able to, to obviously pay an amount and, and pick and choose what we actually um, spend and maybe not be able to do all the projects we'd like to do, I think with the ability to leverage off some of the larger corporates who are becoming probably a little bit more socially aware, yeah. um, it will give us the ability to keep up with uh, the other corporate organisations and actually do the things we really want to do as well. Yeah. And what's the nature of your relationship with Accenture? How do, how do you work with them? Um, the, the managing director of Accenture in Australia uh, has a very um, uh, humanitarian background as well, very passionate about it. And mm. so I think it started from the top with our CEO talking to, um, uh, to their managing director and then it sort of started from there. And we've, it's a pro bono relationship, so it's about providing resources instead of just coming in and offering money, um, skilled resources so we can actually make things happen internally and get the things done that we want to do. Sure. Now, the COVID-19 pandemic put many Australian families in a, in a pretty ordinary financial position last year and, and probably will do for some time to come. A lot of people uh, are not, not going to recover. Um, the JobKeeper payments have stopped and, and, and it's going to be difficult for them, I guess, for the rest of this year and for years to come. What role do you think technology is going to play in, in 2021 and, and the years following uh, to help people in need across the country, to help you help people uh, in need across the country? Yeah, I think look, we, we connect thousands of people from a volunteer or who need help each day. That technology, the discussions that I've been having internally are technology that key enabler or foundation um, used to connect the right services to those in need to and remove any roadblocks as well. Um, 
the key thing I guess we're trying to measure at the moment is with technology is how do you create the most amount of impact. So we've got an existing digital acceleration program that started, um, which is looking at that single view of the customer. Um, and it's about making sure that we don't have volunteers that log on to a different system and then a donor who logs on to a different system and then someone who actually we're providing services to to log on to a different system as well. Mm-hmm. It's about bringing them all into one. Um, and some simplification, I think, as well, just around, say, for example, our um, regular giver provides uh, payment via credit card. Um, how do we automate that process so they're notified before so we don't have to have people sitting on the phone uh, calling customers up to say, hey, credit card uh, numbers expired. But I think we also connect a large amount of volunteers to mobilise programs and the technology really has to be agile and flexible enough to support the right volunteers in the right areas as well. Mm. I think at the moment, from a technology perspective, we, we're very manual in a lot of our work. Mm. Um, we're looking at sort of how do we use RPA and some other technologies sort of such as machine learning to, to look into the data sets that we've got mm. and help us really match the right volunteers with a program where they can make the most amount of difference too. Mm. I mean, when you talk about automation and, and RPA technology, they, they, those technologies are quite expensive. Do you expect vendors to come to the party and help you out there? I'm not going to be shy in saying yes, I do. Uh, sure. And we do, we, we do have, um, for example, we use Boomi for our integration platform and um, Dell have been a fantastic partner of ours over the last 18 months we've been using it and they've just re-signed to continue to support us through, um, through that as well to make sure that we do have the right systems and the right platforms to to, um, to make an impact as well. So, Brett, it must be a very different experience uh, for you. As I said, you're one month into the role. You know, you, you, you've got vendors that, that, that are coming to the party and helping out. No money's necessarily changing hands. It must be very different to um, your experiences, um, it, you know, it, throughout your career in, in the private sector where you have to manage contracts and, 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 and do deals and, and get the best price for, for service and all that type of thing. It is very different for you so far. I think I don't think it's different in a, in a positive way. Where there's a lot of people who are here to make a different, are here basically to make an impact and for the right reasons. Well, very passionate about what they do. The, the key difference I think is that it's making sure that we connect the dots to actually get them there as well in a structured and a governed sort of way as well. Um, some of the challenges obviously we have at the moment is we have a large amount of shadow IT that sits outside of the governance and controls that we have within sort of the IT portfolio mm. and what we're looking at from the Accenture orders to bring it all back in. And um, I think that that would be the only key real difference, whereas I think a lot of organisations are probably ahead of, ahead of us from a maybe a, a, a future state. Mm. But I think we will have the ability to catch up really quickly due to the partnerships we have uh, with external vendors and obviously parties as well. Sure. So why have you had a lot of shadow IT across the organisation? I mean, why have people, I guess, taken uh, the technology into their own hands? It's really, from what I've found in the last couple of weeks that I've been here, it's about IT haven't been able to service the business and that's not necessarily from um, a, a capability. It's more being we've had a lot of BAU and a lot of dealing with a lot of legacy systems as well. And so we haven't just been able to provide the speed and the agility to support the other areas of the business. Mm. And um, what we're hoping through this audit is to bring everything back in and create that, what does that single view look like? But also work with the business as well in for, the, for them to understand 
what does good look like? Mm. Because I think it's an education process as well where we've got certain areas of the business that are actually doing tech programs and it's not their core capability. So it's about getting them to understand and educating them around um, what does good look like and this is what we'll give you if we move all this into a single governance structure. Well, good luck with it. It's, it's certainly a very interesting time um, to be in that CIO role at, at Australian Red Cross. Um, and, uh, you know, I do, uh, I do wish you all the best. Are there any other major challenges that you can see going forward? I think the key thing at the moment from a challenge perspective is funding. Um, we, we rely heavily on donations uh, for, for obviously funding for, to fund programs. And for us, we're, we're fighting obviously with uh, in a challenging way against obviously a lot of another not-for-profit. And so I guess the key thing for us would be what's the differentiator for donating to Red Cross? And that's what we are working through at the moment to make sure that we do have that key differentiator. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck with it, Brett. Um, and I, I'm sure we'll speak again down the track. And, and thanks for, for joining us today on the CIO Show. We hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Lauren. Our final guest is Francis Waterford, who is the Chief Information Officer at Cancer Council New South Wales. Hi, Francis. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you going? Not too bad. It's great to have you. Thanks for joining us today. Now, you've spent quite some time in the private sector in IT roles at at the likes of Transfield and Origin Energy over the years, and you've been at Cancer Council New South Wales since March 2019, I understand. What attracted you to the not-for-profit sector? I was probably more broadly interested in health. I felt that that was a really interesting space for technology uh, more recently and started looking broadly at the health sector. And then when the opportunity came up with Cancer Council New South Wales, it was really compelling. The purpose of the organisation, I think everyone has experienced some connection with cancer in their life through family or friends. um, And that goes for me as well. So, the mission of what um, we as an organisation do was really compelling and where they were at with their life cycle in technology was really a good fit with my skills and experience and I felt I had a lot to bring to the organisation. And as I went through the interview process, I really connected uh, really well with with the culture of the organisation as well. So uh, it was a pretty natural choice. Okay. Now, unlike the private sector, not for profit, um, the sector doesn't get you know anywhere near as much money. You 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 know you you take a lot of uh, money from donations from people and the like. Um, I mean, how is it is it difficult dealing with the fact that I guess people and financial resources are are, are, are a little bit more scarce in in NFP as they are um, compared to other uh, market sectors? I mean, how do you get around that? And what how do you actually decide? Um, where resources, where financial resources, where people resources, um, which technology projects um, they'll be allocated to? How do you make that decision? Look, the method of choosing which projects to do, which areas to invest in, that method is common where you're in a commercial or a not-for-profit organisation. So that's, um, but it's the options you have um, are far different in a not-for-profit. So there's a lot less. Um, capital available to invest in technology. You have to be far more creative about um, what you do and much more thoughtful uh, about the methods of how you deliver change um, through technology. And, um, you know, the other thing I would say is 
um, some of the software vendors out there have really come to the party in terms of their tech for social good offerings mm. um, and, and, and reaching out and making connections with those organisations that do have a social conscience and are, and are making their products heavily discounted for the not-for-profit sector mm. um, is also part of the picture. So it's just bringing all that together, um, looking at where there are opportunities for organisations to offer pro bono services or yeah. heavily discounted services Um using networks and relationships to make that possible. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, uh, it's, it takes a lot of creativity um, and effort to bring it all together mm. uh, in a compelling way, but that's, that's the job. Yeah, for sure. Now, what sort of role is technology playing these days in supporting people with cancer and their families? I mean, is, is it being taken uh, – is technology a big part of, of the organisation's objectives these days? It's very, very central. Um, everything, particularly now in a you know COVID, post-COVID almost situation where so much has to be delivered virtually in terms of services to people experiencing cancer, whether that's you know emotional support programs or practical support programs, you know they have to be very digitally enabled. Mm. Um, so that's a very important part of how we deliver services to, to people who need them, mm. um, how we interact with our supporters, how we carry out our research, um, as well as our employees and workers and volunteers who will um, you know, give their time to the organisation, mm. they will need to connect with us digitally as well. So it's, it's very essential. Yeah, for sure. Now, in your view, what are the key attributes that a CEO in the NFP, NFP sector needs to succeed? I mean, can you, you know, give people, I guess, our listeners a bit of a feel for, you know, some of the attributes that they need and how they get into the NFP sector? Um, I think that connection with the purpose of the organisation and the culture is essential in any role, but it's very, very essential in the not-for-profit sector, um, as is, as I said, that ability to, you know, work creatively and come up with solutions that are, and strategies that are, you know, very compelling from a cost and investment point of view mm. so that every dollar is put to the best use possible. Mm. Um, possibly a little bit more um, ability to um, get in and roll your sleeves up and, and work um, on, on in the business um, sometimes as well. Uh, so every year, everyone in my team spends a day of Daffodil Day out fundraising. Yeah. And, you know, that's really important as well. So um, there are some just core capabilities as a CIO that are, are very common. We are a medium-sized organisation with all of the services and um, considerations that need to be um, considered. Mm. But there's also just that um, connection to the purpose and creativity that might be slightly different. What are some of the technology projects you're working on at the moment? Are you, I mean, what, what are some of the, the technology-led resources for cancer sufferers that, that, I guess, help them along their journey? Yeah, so we have historically delivered our services to people experiencing cancer very much um, service by service. Mm. And we're now moving much more to a client-centric model and putting the client really at the centre of that experience. Mm. And that's requiring a change to our systems. We're also trying to automate um, 
and as I said, make these services much more digitally available to um, clients as well. So that's pretty exciting to work in that area. We're also working with our researchers and um, helping them utilise the cloud much more for their modelling and those types of um, activities that they do to carry out their epidemiological research. And we're also doing um, some improvement projects with our volunteers and how they connect to us and, um, you know, become part of the organisation and have access to all of the right um, tools and services that Mm. help them have a really great volunteering experience. And what about your team? I mean, how big is your team here in New South Wales? And and do you find it easy or difficult to find, you know, uh, technology people who who are interested in working for an NFP like Cancer Council? We're a really small technology team, or relatively small, of fifteen. Yeah. And it's, I would say it's it's I wouldn't say easy, but relatively easy to attract mm. people. To yeah. our organisation because people connect really well with the purpose. They like the culture of the organisation. Our engagement scores are really high. They're in the mid-80s, I think. Yeah. Um, so people find it a really nice place to work. And the types of projects we do are really interesting and rewarding um, in terms of technology and the you know the day-to-day business operations of what we do. So mm. all up, it's, um, you know, it's a... Uh, a nice experience talking to potential candidates about joining our organisation. Mm. And finally, Francis, do you think that CIS should should work at least once uh, for an NFP during their career to get some experience? Yes, I think that would be a really great idea. And I even think the other way that I know a lot of senior CIOs are bringing their capabilities to not-for-profits is through um, directorships. Mm. And those types of opportunities of being perhaps a member of the board of a not-for-profit yeah. and bringing their expertise that way. And I think that's really interesting and a great opportunity for people who might not see a, a permanent role in their future yeah. um, but would like to give back um, and connect to the not-for-profit sector in a, in a different way. Yeah, sure. Sounds like a great idea. All right, Francis, thank you very much. It's been great talking to you today. We really appreciate you taking the time and and hopefully we can talk to you again on the CO Show at some point. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. Next week, CO Australia's Associate Editor David Bidding will be discussing culture, which is a word that was barely, if ever, bandied about amongst tech leaders and their teams even five or so years ago, despite its addition to the broader corporate HR playbook sometime before then. Now and especially after the experiences of last year, culture is a serious concern for CIOs looking to build the right teams capable of working together to best solve the biggest challenges facing their organisations. But do they actually achieve this and what things need to be considered in creating small or entire teams from screening to hiring, mentoring and even firing? And where does diversity fit in? We hope you can join us then.